the depiction of capital punishment in Lord of the Rings is far less ambiguous and far more negative. Tolkien and Lewis were contemporaries of one another and knew each other well, but Tolkien was born six years earlier and died ten years later. Unlike Lewis, Tolkien lived to see the end of actual executions in the UK, though not the end of executions as a legally available punishment. 1964, the year after Lewis's death, marked the final executions in the UK as of the recording of this podcast. In 1965, the British government suspended the death penalty for murder. In 1969, they permanently outlawed it for murder in England, Scotland, and Wales. The ban was extended to Northern Ireland in 1973, the year that Tolkien died. Curiously, the death penalty remained legal for high treason until 1998, though nobody had actually been executed for it since 1946. I have tried to find some explicit statement from Tolkien in letters or other non-fiction writing to indicate his views on the death penalty, but thus far I have found none. The closest thing I could find was this statement, which some have interpreted as pro-death penalty. During World War II, despite his dislike for the Nazis, Tolkien wrote with horror at the sufferings inflicted on civilians in Axis countries and the glib attitude many people in allied countries seem to hold about it. Quote, The appalling destruction and misery of this war mount hourly, destruction of what should be, indeed, it is the commonwealth of Europe and the world, if mankind were not so besotted, wealth the loss of which will affect us all, victors or not. Yet people gloat to hear of the endless lines, 40 miles long, of miserable refugees, women and children pouring west, dying on the way. There seem, to be, there seem no bowels of mercy or compassion, no imagination left in this do- dark, diabolic hour. By which I do not mean that it may not all in the present situation, mainly, not solely, created by Germany, be necessary or inevitable. But why gloat? We were supposed to have reached a stage of civilization, in which it might still be necessary to execute a criminal, but not to gloat or to hang his wife and child by him while the orc crowd hooted. The destruction of Germany, be it 100 times merited, is one of the most appalling world catastrophes, end quote. Some people interpret the, quote, might still be necessary to execute a criminal, end quote, line as an offhanded endorsement of capital punishment. This seems a stretch to me. The thrust of Tolkien's quote is specifically condemning bad treatment of civilians from enemy countries. The reference to executions was part of a criticism of that treatment and doesn't read to me like an endorsement of executing people. Rather, what Tolkien seems to be saying is that society was supposed to have at least gotten to a point where execution of criminals was considered the maximum level of brutality allowable, but that society has failed to even manage that and is instead destroying or outright ending the lives of innocent civilians. In The Hobbit, which was set about 80 years before most of the events in Lord of the Rings and published 17 years earlier, Bilbo Baggins spares the life of the then minor character Gollum, despite knowing that Gollum is perfectly willing to murder him. Frodo, Bilbo's younger cousin and the protagonist of Lord of the Rings, feels that Bilbo's decision not to kill Gollum has had disastrous results. The following conversation between Frodo and the wizard Gandalf is worth quoting here. Quote, But at last, when I had given up the chase and turned to other paths, Gollum was found. My friend returned out of great perils, bringing the miserable creature with him. What he had been doing he would not say. He only wept and called us cruel, with many a golem in his throat. And when we, present, when we pressed him, he whined and cringed and rubbed his long hands, licking his fingers as if they pained him, as if he remembered some old torture. But I am afraid there is no possible doubt. He had made his slow, sneaking way step by step, mile by mile, South, down at last to the land of Mordor, a heavy silence fell in the room. Frodo could hear his heart beating. Even outside, everything seemed still. No sound of Sam's shears could now be heard. Yes to Mordor, said Gandalf. Alas, Mordor draws all wicked things. 
and the dark power was bending all its will to gather them there. The ring of the enemy would leave its mark too, leave him open to the summons, and all folks were whispering then of the new shadow in the south, and its hatred of the west. There were his fine new friends, who would help him in his revenge. Wretched fool. In that land he would learn much, too much for his comfort, and sooner or later, as he lurked and pried on the borders, he would be caught and taken for examination. That was the way of it, I fear. When he was found, he had already been there long, and was on his way back, on some errand of mischief. But it does not matter much now, his worst mischief was done. Yes, alas, through him the enemy has learned that the one ring has been found again. He knows where Isildur fell. He knows where Gollum found his ring. He knows that it is a great ring, for it gave long life. He knows that it is not one of the three, for they have never been lost, and they endure no evil. He knows that it is not one of the seven or the nine, for they are accounted for. He knows that it is the one. And he has at last heard, I think, of hobbits and the Shire. The Shire he may be seeking for it now, if he has not already found out where it lies. Indeed, Frodo, I fear that he may even think that the long-noticed, a long-unnoticed name of Baggins has become important. But this is terrible, cried Frodo, far worse than the worst that I had imagined from your hints and warnings. Oh, Gandalf, best of friends, what am I to do? For now I am really afraid. What am I to do? What a pity that Bilbo did not style, did not stab that vile creature when he had a chance. Pity? It was pity that stayed his hand. Pity and mercy, not to strike without need. And he has well been rewarded, Frodo. Be sure that he took so little hurt from the evil and escaped in the end, because he began his ownership of the ring so. With pity. I am sorry, said Frodo, but I am frightened, and I do not feel any pity for Gollum. You have not seen him, Gandalf broke in. No, and I don't want to, said Frodo. I can't understand you. Do you mean to say that you and the elves have let him live? on after these horrible deeds now at any rate he is as bad as an orc and just an enemy he deserves death deserves it i dare say he does many that live deserve death and some that die deserve life can you give it to them then do not be too eager to deal out death in judgment for even the wise cannot see all ends i have not much hope that Gollum can be cured before he dies but there is a chance of it and he is bound up with the fate of the ring my heart tells me that he has some part to play yet for good or ill, before the end, and when that comes, the pity of Bilbo may rule the fate of many, yours not least. In any case, we did not kill him. He is very old and very wretched. The wood elves have him in prison, but they treat him with such kindness as they can find in their wise hearts, end quote. There's a lot to unpack here. Frodo states that Bilbo should have killed Gollum because Gollum deserves death. Despite pitying Gollum, Gandalf doesn't deserve, doesn't dispute the basic claim that the debased hobbit deserves death. Under Lewis's theory of punishment, Gollum deserving death would be the most important factor for deciding whether to kill him, but Gandalf adamantly rejects this metric. Instead, Gandalf points out that plenty of people who deserve to die live, and plenty of people who don't deserve to die end up dying prematurely anyway and that therefore trying to be the arbiter of which individuals do and don't deserve it is a bad idea. Gandalf also points out that even an evil person can end up doing good in some way if their life is spared. Some fans have argued that this isn't a critique of the death penalty. An argument goes that Gandalf, and by extension Tolkien, were merely saying that individuals shouldn't take it upon themselves to kill people for revenge, and that they were not condemning executions by governments. In my view, this interpretation is very difficult to harmonize, both with the specific passage I've just quoted and with later passages in the trilogy. Firstly, as some other fans have pointed out, Gandalf doesn't say, quote, it's for a king to judge whether Gollum dies, it isn't your place because you're a random civili civilian, end quote. Instead, Gandalf says that Frodo shouldn't want to, quote, deal out death in judgment, end quote, because he can't give death to everyone who deserves death, and life to everyone who deserves life, and doesn't know whether Gollum might do some good later on. Obviously, no earthly king or judge is capable of doing that either, so Gandalf's admonition would be equally applicable to anyone besides, well, God. The comment, even the wise cannot see all ends, further drives home the point that the scene reads as a warning against any earthly entities, quote-unquote, playing God, in doling out the death penalty. 
Interestingly, the debate over what Gandalf meant parallels debates between biblical scholars about whether New Testament passages about the importance of forgiveness and not pursuing vengeance are meant to condemn executions by the state or only to condemn individual Christians seeking vengeance. The distinction between the morality of state executions and personal vengeance is a distinction Lewis made and which many conservative Christians, especially conservative Protestants, have made. It is also a distinction rejected by most liberal Protestants and seemingly rejected by the traditionalist Catholic Tolkien here. There is a final very important point. We learn in The Hobbit and are reminded later in The Fellowship of the Ring that the Wood Elves who have Gollum in their custody are a sovereign kingdom with their own ruler. If the ethics of Middle-earth were that state executions were moral, but vigilante killings weren't, one would expect the Wood Elves to kill Gollum, or at least for Gandalf to express frustration that they refused to do so. Quite the contrary, Gandalf praises the Wood Elves as quote-unquote wise for not only sparing Gollum's life, but keeping him under fairly humane conditions. Later in Fellowship, the debate over capital punishment, Gollum, and the Wood Elves is brought back up at the Council of Elrond. As it turns out, Gollum has escaped. Quote, All sat silent for a while, until at last Boromir spoke. He is a small thing, you say, this Gollum, small but great in mischief. What became of him? To what doom did you put him? He is in prison but no worse, said Aragorn. He had suffered much. There is no doubt that he was tormented, and the fear of Sauron lies black on his heart. Still, I for one am glad that he is safely kept by the watchful elves of Mirkwood. His malice is great and gives him a strength hardly to be believed in one so lean and withered. He could work much mischief still if he were free, and I do not doubt that he was allowed to leave Mordor on some evil errand. Alas, alas, cried Legolas, and in his fair elvish face there was great distress. The tidings that I was sent to bring must now be told. They are not good, but only here have I learned how evil they may seem to this company. Smeagol, who is now called Gollum, has escaped. Escaped? cried Aragorn. That is ill news indeed. We should all rue, we should all rue it bitterly. How came the folk of Thrandil to fail in their trust? Not through lack of watchfulness, said Legolas, but perhaps through overkindliness. And we fear that the prisoner had aid from others, and that more is known of our doings than we could wish. We guarded this creature day and night at Gandalf's bidding, much though we wearied of the task. But Gandalf bade us hope still for his cure, and we had not the heart to keep him ever in dungeons under the earth, where he would fall back to his old black thoughts. You were less tender to me, said Gloin, with a flash of his eyes as old memories were stirred of his imprisonment in the deep places of the elf, elven king's halls. Now come, said Gandalf, pray do not interrupt, my good Gloin. That was a regrettable misunderstanding long set right. If all the grievances that stand between elves and the council of El sorry, between elves and the dwarves, are to be brought up here, we may as well abandon this council. Gloin rose and bowed, and Legolas continued. In the days of fair weather, we let Gollum through the woods, and there was a high tree standing alone from the, far from the others, which he liked to climb. Often we let him mount up the highest branches, until he felt the free wind, but we set a guard at the tree's foot. One day he refused to come down, and the guards had no mind to climb after him. He had learned the trick of clinging to bows with his feet as well as with his hands, so they sat by the tree far into the night. It was that very hour of summer, yet moonless and starless, that orcs came, up, came on us unawares. We drove them off after some time. They were many and fierce, but they came from over the mountains and were unused to the woods. When the battle was over, we found that Gollum was gone, and his guards were slain or taken. It then seemed plain to us that the attack had been made for his rescue, and that he knew of it beforehand. How that was contrived we cannot guess, but Gollum is cunning and the spies of the enemy are many. The dark things that were driven out in the year of the dragon's fall have returned in great numbers, and Mirkwood is again an evil place, save where our realm is maintained. We have failed to capture Gollum. We came on his trail among those of many orcs, and it plunged deep into the forest going south. But ere long it escaped our skill, and we dared not continue the hunt, for we were drawing nigh to Dol Guldor, and that is still a very evil place. We do not go that way. Well, well, he is gone, said Gandalf. We have no time to seek for him again. He must do what he will. But he may play a part yet that neither he nor Sauron have foreseen. End quote. Here, the decision to not only spare Gollum's life, 
but give him access to more fresh air and freedom of movement than many mid-20th century real-life prisoners would have likely experienced, leads to him escaping. Some of the characters second-guess Gall- sorry, some of the characters second-guess the elves' compassion. But Gandalf, who urged the elves to spare Gollum's life, seems relatively unfazed, and once again predicts, correctly, that not executing Gollum and not keeping him in a dungeon 24-7 may work out for good in the end. In Two Towers, capital punishment once again comes up, and Gandalf once again works to prevent villains from being executed. When Gandalf, Legolas, Aragorn, and Gimli arrive at the Kingdom of Rohan, they find King Theoden being duped by his advisor, Grima Wormtongue, who is secretly working for the evil wizard Saruman, not to be confused with Sauron. Always enunciate when discussing Lord of the Rings. Gandalf exposes Wormtongue's treachery to Theoden, but also stops Theoden from killing him. You lie, said Wormtongue. That word comes too oft and easy from your lips, said Gandalf. I do not lie. See, Theoden, here is a snake. With safety you cannot take it with you, nor can you leave it behind. To slay it would be just, but it was not always as it is now. Once it was a man and did you service in its fashion. Give him a horse and let him go at once, wherever he chooses. By his choice you shall judge him. Do you hear this, Wormtongue? said Theoden. This is your choice, to ride with me to war and let us see in battle whether you are true, or to go now whither you will. But then, if we ever meet again, I shall not be so merciful. Slowly Wormtongue rose. He looked at them with half-closed eyes. Last of all, he scanned Theoden's face and opened his mouth as if to speak. Then suddenly he drew himself up. His hands worked, his eyes glittered. Such malice was in them that men stepped back from him. He bared his teeth, and then with a hissing breath he spat before the king's feet, and darting to one side he fled down the stair. After him, said Theoden, see that he does no harm to any, but do not hurt him or hinder him. Give him a horse if he wishes it. End quote. Gandalf's comment that killing Wormtongue would be just might read as a concession that the death penalty is sometimes appropriate, but that is at odds with both the overall scene as well as earlier and later scenes. Given that Gandalf says this in the midst of trying to talk Theoden into showing mercy, it reads more like an attempt to calm Theoden down and a restatement of his belief that some people deserve death, but that this isn't a good reason to put them to death. This scene also seriously undermines the idea that Lord of the Rings only condemns vigilante killings rather than state executions. After all, Theoden is a king, and Gandalf isn't much more okay with him, quote, dealing out death and judgment than he was with Frodo doing so. Interestingly, Theoden's promise to, quote-unquote, not be so merciful if he and Wormtongue cross paths again ends up not being true, likely due to Gandalf's influence. Later in Two Towers, Gandalf, Theoden, and a number of other characters come across Wormtongue once again, along with Saruman. This is the first part of the interaction. For some time there was no answer. At last the window above the door was unbarred, but no figure could be seen at its dark opening. Who is it, said a voice, what do you wish? Theoden started. I know that voice, he said, and I cursed the day when I first listened to it. Go and fetch Saruman since you have become his footman, Grima Wormtongue, said Gandalf, and do not waste our time. To recap, when Theoden and Wormtongue last interacted, Theoden yelled at him and warned he wouldn't be so merciful if they met again. Now, with Wormtongue having done more evil acts, when they meet once again, Theoden yells at him. Theoden seems more open to the idea of executing Saruman, telling him, quote, When you hang from a gibbet at your window for the sport of your own crows, I will have peace with you and Orthanc, end quote. But Gandalf quickly takes over and attempts to offer Saruman a plea bargain before sentencing. Theoden's comment is very similar to Tyrion's comment about Shift, but unlike in Narnia, a wiser character disagrees with Theoden on the spot. Saruman has now been responsible for multitudes of innocent deaths, so we might expect Gandalf to really bring down the hammer. Quote, then Gandalf laughed. The fantasy vanished like a puff of smoke. Saruman, Saruman, said Gandalf, still laughing. Saruman, you missed your path in life. You should have been the king's jester and earned your bread and stripes too by mimicking his counselors. Ah, me, he paused, getting the better of his mirth. Understand one another? I fear I am beyond your comprehension. But you, Saruman, I understand now too well. 
I keep a clear a clearer memory of our argument of your arguments and deeds than you suppose. When last I visited you, you were the jailer of Mordor, and there I was to be sent. Nay, the guest who has escaped from the roof roof will think twice before he comes back in by the door. Nay, I do not think I will come up. But listen, Saruman, for the last time, will you not come down? Isengard has proved less strong than your hope and fancy made it. So may other things in which you still have trust. Would it not be well to leave it for a while? To turn to new things, perhaps? Think well, Saruman, will you not come down? A shadow passed over Saruman's face. Then it went deathly white. Before he could conceal it, they saw through the mask the anguish of a mind in doubt, loathing to stay and dreading to leave its refuge. For a second he hesitated, and no one breathed. Then he spoke, and his voice was shrill and cold. Pride and hate were conquering him. Will I come down, he mocked. Does an unarmed man come down to speak with robbers out of doors? I can hear you well enough here. I am no fool, and I do not trust you, Gandalf. They do not stand openly on my stairs, but I know where the wild wood demons are lurking at your command. The treacherous are ever distrustful, answered Gandalf warily, but you need not fear for your skin. I do not wish to kill you or hurt you, as you would know if you really understood me, and I have the power to protect you. I am giving you a last chance. You can leave Orthanc, free if you choose." That sounds well, sneered Saruman, very much in the manner of Gandalf the Grey, so condescending and so very kind. I do not doubt that you would find Orthanc commodious, and my departure convenient, but why should I wish to leave? And what do you mean by free? There are conditions, I presume. Reasons for leaving you can see from your windows, answered Gandalf. Others will occur to your thought. Your servants are destroyed and scattered. Your neighbors you have made your enemies, and you have cheated your new master, or tried to do so. When his eye turns hither, it will be the red eye of wrath. But when I say free, I mean free. Free from bond of chain or command, to go where you will, even to Mordor, Saruman, if you desire. But you will first surrender to me the key of Orthanc and your staff. They shall be pledges of your conduct, to be returned later if you merit them. Saruman's face grew livid, twisted with rage, and a red light was kindled in his eyes. He laughed wildly. Later, he cried, and his voice rose to a scream. Later? Yes, when you have the key of Beridur itself, I suppose, and the crowns of the seven kings, and the rods of the five wizards, and have purchased yourself a pair of boots many sizes larger than those you wear now. A modest plan, hardly one in which my help is needed. I have other things to do. Do not be a fool. If you wish to treat with me while you have a chance, go away and come back when you are sober, and leave behind these cutthroats and small ragtag that you dangle at your tail. Good day. He turned and left the balcony. Come back, Saruman, said Gandalf in a commanding voice. To the amazement of the others, Saruman turned again, and as if dragged against his will, he came slowly back to the iron rail, leaning on it, breathing hard. His face was lined and shrunken. His hand clutched his heavy black staff like a claw. I did not give you leave to go, said Gandalf sternly. I have not finished. You have become a fool, Saruman, yet pitiable. You might still have turned away from folly and evil and have been of service. But you choose to stay and gnaw the ends of your old plots. Stay then, but I warn you, you will not come easily out again. Not unless the dark hand of the east stretches out to take you. Saruman, he cried, and his voice grew in power and authority. Behold, I am not Gandalf the Grey whom you betrayed. I am Gandalf the White who has returned from death. You have no color now, and I cast you from the order and from the council. He raised his hand and spoke slowly in a clear, cold voice. Saruman, your staff is broken. There was a crack, and the staff split asunder in Saruman's hands, and the head of it fell down at Gandalf's feet. Go, said Gandalf. With a cry, Saruman fell back and crawled away. End quote. Despite Saruman's horrific crimes, Gandalf isn't that interested in even imprisoning Saruman until his fellow wizard refuses to cooperate. Even then, Gandalf simply imprisons him indefinitely. This ought to further refute the idea that the text draws much distinction between personal vengeance and state executions. 
Again, Theoden is a king. He was possibly getting ready to impose the death penalty, and Gandalf stopped him and went with imprisonment instead. A little later, Gandalf further confirms that executing Saruman is off the table. Quote, Well, that is done, said Gandalf. Now I must find Treebeard and tell him how things have gone. He will have guessed, surely, said Mary. Were they likely to end any other way? Not likely, answered Gandalf, though they came to the balance of a hair. But I had reasons for trying, some merciful and some less so. First, Saruman was shown that the power of his voice was waning. He cannot be both tyrant and counselor. When the plot is ripe, it remains no longer secret. Yet he fell into the trap and tried to deal with his victims piecemeal, while others listened. Then I gave him a last choice and a fair one, to renounce both Mordor and his personal schemes and make amend by help amends by helping us in our need. He knows our need none better. Great service he could have rendered, but he has chosen to withhold it and keep the power of Orthanc. He will not serve, only command. He now lives in terror of the shadow of Mordor, and yet he still dreams of riding the storm. Unhappy fool, he will be devoured if the power of the East stretches out its arms to Isengard. We cannot destroy Orthanc from without, but Sauron, who knows what he can do? And what if Sauron does not conquer? What will you do to him? asked Pippin. I? Nothing, said Gandalf. I will do nothing to him. I do not wish for mastery. What will become of him I cannot say. I grieve that so much that was good now festers in the tower. Still for us things have not gone badly. Strange are the turns of fortune. Often does hatred hurt itself. I guess that, even if we had entered it, we could have found few treasures in Orthanc, more precious than the thing which Wormtongue threw down at us. A shrill shriek suddenly cut off. Come came from an open window high above. It seems that Saruman thinks so too, said Gandalf. Let us leave them. End quote. Gandalf entrusts a group of talking trees known as Ents, led by Treebeard, to keep Saruman and Wormtongue from escaping. Since Saruman had ordered his followers to kill vast numbers of the talking trees, Treebeard seems willing to oblige. Quote, Treebeard looked at them and was silent for a while, shaking his head thoughtfully. Then he turned to Gandalf. So Saruman would not leave, he said? I did not think he would. His heart is as rotten as a black huon's. Still, if, he, if I were overcome and all my trees destroyed, I would not come while I had one dark hole left to hide in. No, said Gandalf, but you have not plotted to cover all the world with your trees and choke all other living things. But there it is, Saruman remains to nurse his hatred and weave again such webs as he can. He has the key of Orthanc, but he must not be allowed to escape. Indeed, no. Ents will see to that, said Treebeard. Saruman shall not set foot beyond the rock without my leave. Ents will watch over him. Good, said Gandalf. That is what I hoped. Now I can go and turn to other matters with, n with one care the less. But you must be wary. The waters have gone down. It will not be enough to put sentinels round the tower, I fear. I do not doubt that there were deep ways delved under Orthanc, and that Saruman hopes to go and come unmarked before long. If you will undertake the labor, I beg you to pour in the waters again, and do so until Isengard remains a standing pool, or you discover the outlets. When all the underground places are drowned, and the outlets blocked, then Saruman must stay upstairs and look out of the windows. Leave it to the end, said Treebeard. We shall search the valley from head to foot and peer under every pebble. Trees are coming back to live here, old trees, wild trees. The Watchwood, we will call it. Not a squirrel will go here, but I shall know of it. Leave it to Ents. Until seven times the years in which he tormented us have passed, we shall not tire of watching him. End quote. Meanwhile, Frodo and his best friend Sam encounter Gollum and must decide whether to listen to what Gandalf said or go the execution route. Well, what's... I'm just going to start the quote here. Well, what's to be done with it, said Sam? Tie it up so as it can't come sneaking after us no more, I say. But that would kill us. Kill us, whispered Gollum. Cruel little hobbitses. Tie us up in the cold, hard lands and leave us, Gollum, Gollum. Sobs welled up in his gobbling throat. No, said Frodo, if we kill him, we must kill him outright, but we can't do that, not as things are. Poor wretch, he has done us no harm. Oh, hasn't he, said Sam, rubbing his shoulder. Anyway, he meant to and he means to, I'll warrant. 
throttle us in our sleep, that's his plan. I dare say, said Frodo, but what he means to do is another matter. He paused for a while in thought. Gollum lay still but stopped whimpering. Sam stood glowering over him. It seemed to Frodo that he then that he heard quite plainly but far off voices out of the past. What a pity Bilbo did not stab that vile creature when he had a chance. Pity? It was pity that stayed his hand. Pity and mercy not to strike without need. I do not feel any pity for Gollum. He deserves death. Deserves death? I dare say he does. Many that live deserve death. And some die that deserve life. Can you give it? Can you give that to them? Then be not too eager to deal out death in the name of justice, fearing for your own safety. Even the wise cannot see all ends. Very well, he answered aloud, lowering his sword, but still I am afraid. And yet, as you see, I will not touch the creature. For now that I see him, I do pity him. Sam stared at his master, who seemed to be speaking to someone who was not there. Gollum lifted his head. Yes, wretched we are. Precious, he whined. Misery, misery. Hobbits won't kill us. Nice hobbits. No, we won't, said Frodo. But we won't let you go either. You're full of wickedness and mischief, Gollum. You will have to come with us, that's all, while we keep an eye on you. But you must help us if you can. One good turn deserves another. End quote. Eventually... Gollum betrays Frodo and Sam by leading them to the den of a giant hungry spider named Shelob and nearly getting Frodo killed. At this point, many readers might be wondering if Gandalf's advice was so good after all, since Gollum has been shown mercy twice and betrayed the good side twice. But Frodo feels differently. Quote, With a violent heave, Sam rose up. At once he drew his sword, but he could do nothing. Gollum and Frodo were locked together. Gollum was tearing at his master, trying to get at the chain and the ring. This was probably the only thing that could have roused the dying embers of Frodo's heart and will, an attack in an attempt to wrest his treasure from him by force. He fought back with a sudden fury that amazed Sam, and Gollum also. Even so, things might have gone far otherwise if Gollum himself had remained unchanged. But whatever dreadful paths, lonely and hungry and waterless, he had trodden, driven by a devouring desire and a terrible fear— they had left grievous marks on him. He was a lean, starved, haggard thing, all bones and tight-drawn sallow skin. A wild light flamed in his eyes, but his malice was no longer matched by his old gripping strength. Frodo flung him off and rose up, quivering. Down, down, he gasped, clutching his hand to his breast, so that beneath the cover of his leather shirt he clasped the ring. Down, you creeping little thing, and out of my path. Your time is at an end. You cannot betray me or slay me now. Then suddenly, as before under the eaves of the Emin Mule, Sam saw these two rivals with another vision. A crouching shape, scarcely more than the shadow of a living thing, a creature now wholly ruined and defeated, yet filled with a hideous lust and rage. And before it stood stern, untouchable now by pity, a figure robed in white, but at its heart, at its breast, it held a wheel of fire. Out of the fire there spoke a commanding voice. Be gone and trouble me no more. If you touch me ever again, you shall be cast into the lake of doom, into the fire of doom, end quote. It turns out Gandalf was right after all. When Frodo and Sam finally reach the lava of Mount Doom, Frodo finds that the ring has taken him over, and he cannot throw it into the volcano. The light sprang up again, and there on the brink of the chasm at the very crack of doom stood Frodo, Black against the glare, tense, erect, but still as if he had been turned to stone. Master, cried Frodo. Then Frodo stirred and spoke with a clear voice, indeed a voice clearer and more powerful than Sam had ever heard him use, and it rose above the throb and turmoil of Mount Doom, ringing in the roof and walls. I have come, he said, but I do not choose now to do what I came to do. I will not do this deed. The ring is mine. And suddenly, as he set it on his finger, he vanished from Sam's sight. Sam gasped, but he had no chance to cry out, for at that moment, many things happened. Something struck Sam violently in the back. His legs were knocked from under him, and he was flung aside, striking his head against the stony floor as a dark shape sprang over him. He lay still, and for a moment, all went black. And far away, as Frodo put on the ring and claimed it for his own, even... In Samoth Nor, the heart of his, the very heart of his realm, the ring and the power in Barad-dûr was shaken, and the tower trembled from its foundations to its proud and bitter crown. The Dark Lord was suddenly aware of him, and his eye 
piercing all shadows, looked across the plain to the door he had made, and the magnitude of his own folly was revealed to him in a blinding flash, and all the devices of his enemies were at last laid bare. Then his wrath blazed in consuming fire, but his fear rose like a vast black smoke to choke him, for he knew his deadly peril, and the thread upon which his doom now hung. From all his policies and webs of fear and treachery, from all his stratagems and and wars, his mind shook free, and throughout his realm a tremor ran, his slaves quailed and his armies halted, and his captains suddenly steerless, bereft of will, wavered and despaired, for they were forgotten. The whole mind and purpose of the power that wielded them was now bent with overwhelming force upon the mountain. At his summons, wheeling with a rending cry, in a last desperate race there flew, faster than the winds, the Nazgul, the ring raids, and with a storm of wings they hurtled southwards toward Mount Doom. Sam got up. He was dazed and blood streaming from his head dripped in his eyes. He groped forward and then he saw a strange and terrible thing. Gollum on the edge of the abyss was fighting like a mad thing with an unseen foe. To and fro he swayed, now so near the brink that almost he tumbled in, now dragging back, falling to the ground, rising and falling again, and all the while he hissed but spoke no words. The fires below awoke in anger, the red light blazed, and the cavern was filled with a great glare and heat. Suddenly Sam saw Gollum's long hands draw upward to his mouth, his white fangs gleamed, and then snapped as they bit. Frodo gave a cry, and there he was, fallen upon his knees at the chasm's edge. But Gollum, dancing like a mad thing, held aloft the ring, a finger still thrust within its circle. It shone now as if verily it was wrought of living fire. "'Precious, precious, precious!' Gollum cried. "'My precious! Oh, my precious!' And with that, even as his eyes were lifted up to gloat on his prize, he stepped too far, toppled, wavered for a moment on the brink, and then with a shriek he fell. Out of the depths came his last wail, Precious! And he was gone. End quote. Completely by accident, Gollum destroys the ring himself when Frodo can't do it. That is essentially what the scene depicts. If Frodo had gone with his first impulse and killed Gollum, he would have still been unable to throw the ring into Mount Doom, and Sauron would have regained the ring and taken over Middle-earth. Thus, Tolkien seems to be saying that even if an evil, murderous person refuses to change, keeping them alive might do some good in an unforeseen way. Gandalf's prediction that, quote, the pity of Bilbo may rule the fate of many, end quote, has come true. Indeed, Gandalf's and eventually Frodo's opposition to the death penalty may have have saved Middle-earth. With Sauron, the central antagonist of the series, who we never actually see, defeated, the heroes make some decisions about what to do with the enemies who are still alive. Aragorn, newly crowned king of Gondor, acts like an ancient Gavin Newsom, seemingly unwilling to, to approve any executions. Quote, In the days that followed his crowning, the king sat on his throne in the Hall of Kings and pronounced his judgments. And embassies came from many lands and peoples, from the east and the south, and from the borders of Mirkwood and from Dunland in the west. And the king pardoned the Easterlings that had given themselves up, and sent them away free, and made peace with the peoples of Harad. And the slaves of Mordor he released, and gave to them all the lands about Lake Newman to be their own. And there were brought before him many to receive his praise and reward for their valor, And last, the captain of the guard brought to him Baragond to be judged. And the king said to Baragond, Baragond, by your sword, blood was spilled in the hallows, where that is forbidden. Also, you left your post without leave of lord or of captain. For these things of old, death was the penalty. Now, therefore, I must pronounce your doom. All penalty is remitted for your valor in battle, and still more because all that you did was for the love of the lord Faramir. Nevertheless, you must leave the guard of the citadel, and you must go forth from the city of Minas Tirith. Then the blood left Baragon's face, and he was stricken to the heart and bowed his head. But the king said, So it must be, for you are appointed to the white company, the guard of Faramir, prince of Ithilien, and you shall be its captain and dwell in Emin Arman, in honor and peace, and in the service of him for whom you risked all to save him from death. And then Baragond perceiving the mercy and justice of the king was glad, and kneeling kissed his hand, and departed in joy and content. 
And Aragorn gave Faramir Ithilien to be his princedom, and bade him dwell in the hills of Amon Armin, within sight of the city. End quote. After celebrating, Gandalf and the hobbits eventually begin a journey home and stop off at Isengard, where Saruman and Wormtongue are still held prisoner. Or not. It turns out that when Treebeard said Saruman and Wormtongue would be imprisoned, quote, for seven times the years in, years in which he tormented us, end quote, he really meant a few weeks. Quote, the new age begins, said Gandalf, and in this age it may well prove that the kingdoms of men shall, out, shall outlast you, Fangorn, my friend. But now come tell me, what of the task that I set you? How is Saruman? His windows. Treebeard gave Gandalf a long look, a most cunning look, Mary thought. Ah, he said, I thought you would come to that. Weary of Orthanc? Very weary at last, but not so weary of his tower as he was weary of my voice. I gave him some long tales, or at least what might be thought long in your speech. Then why did he stay to listen? Did you go into Orthanc? asked Gandalf. No, not into Orthanc, said Treebeard. But he came to his window and listened, because he could not get news in any other way. And though he hated the news, he was greedy to have it. And I saw that he had heard it all. But I added a great many things to the news that it was good for him to think of. He grew very weary. He always was hasty. That was his ruin. I observe, my good Fangorn, said Gandalf, that with great care you say, dwelt, was, grew. What about is? Is he dead? No, not dead, so far as I know, said Treebeard, but he is gone. Yes, he is gone seven days. I let him go. There was little left of him when he crawled out. And as for that worm creature of his, he was like a pale shadow. Now do not tell me, Gandalf, that I promised to keep him safe, for I know it. But things have changed since then, and I kept him until he was safe, safe from doing any more harm. You should know that above all, I hate the caging of, li of live things, and I will not keep even such creatures as these caged beyond great need. A snake without fangs may crawl where he will. You may be right, said Gandalf, but this snake had still one tooth left, I think. He had the poison of his voice, and I guess that he persuaded you, even you, Treebeard, knowing the soft spot in your heart. Well, he is gone, and there is no more to be said, but the Tower of Orthanc now goes back to the king to whom it belongs, though maybe he will not need it, end quote. Treebeard, it seems, is the first ever prison abolitionist. Gandalf, while opposing the death penalty, is less than thrilled with Treebeard's stance. If Gandalf is like Bernie Sanders, Treebeard is like Rashida Tlaib. A little while later, Gandalf and the hobbits, traveling with the elf queen Elizabeth Warren, I mean Galadriel, again encounter Saruman and Wormtongue. On the sixth day since their parting from the king, they journeyed through a wood, climbing down from the hills at the feet of the misty mountains that now marched on their right hand. As they came out again into the open country at sundown, they overtook an old man leaning on a staff, and he was clothed in rags of gray or dirty white, and at his heels went another beggar, slouching and whining. Well, Saruman, said Gandalf, where are you going? What is that to you, he answered. Will you still order my goings and not be content with my ruin? You know the answer, said Gandalf, no and no. But in any case, the time of my labors now draws to an end. The king has taken on the burden. If you had waited at Orthanc, you would have seen him, and he would have shown you wisdom and mercy. Then all the more reason to have left sooner, said Saruman, for I desire neither of him. Indeed, if you wish for an answer to your first question, I am seeking a way out of his realm. Then once more you are going the wrong way, said Gandalf, and I see no hope in your journey. But will you scorn our help, for we offer it to you? To me, said Saruman, nay, pray, do not smile at me. I prefer your frowns. And as for the lady here, I do not trust her. She always hated me and schemed for your part. I do not doubt that she has brought you this way to have the pleasure to, of gloating over my poverty. Had I been warned of your pursuit, I would have denied you the pleasure. Saruman, said Galadriel, we have other errands and other cares that seem to us more urgent than hunting for you. Say rather that you are overtaken by good fortune, for now you have a last chance. If it truly be the last, I am glad, said Saruman, for I shall be spared the trouble of refusing it again. All my hopes are ruined, but I would not share yours, if you have any. For a moment his eyes kindled. Go, he said, I did not spend long study on these matters for naught. You have doomed yourself and you know it, and it will afford me some comfort as I wander, to think that you pulled down your own house when you destroyed mine. And now what ship will bear you back across so wide a sea, he mocked, 
It will be a gray ship and full of ghosts. He laughed, but his voice was cracked and hideous. Get up, you idiot, he shouted to the other beggar, who had sat down on the ground, and he struck him with his staff. Turn about. If these fine folks are going our way, then we will take another. Get on, or I'll give you no crust for your supper. The beggar turned and slouched past whimpering. Poor old Grima, poor old Grima, always beaten and cursed. How I hate him, how I wish I could leave him. Then leave him, said Gandalf. But Wormtongue only shot a glance of his bleared eyes full of terror at Gandalf, and then shuffled quickly past behind Saruman. As the wretched pair passed by the company, they came to the hobbits, and Saruman stopped and stared at them, but they looked at him with pity. So you have come to gloat too, have you, my urchins, he said. You don't care what a beggar lacks, do you? For you have all you want, food and fine clothes and the best weed for your pipes. Oh, yes, I know. I know where it comes from. You would not give a pipeful to a beggar, would you? I would if I had any, said Frodo. You can have what I have got left, said Mary, if you will wait a moment. He got down and searched in the bag at his saddle. Then he handed to Saruman a leather pouch. Take what there is, he said. You are welcome to it. It came from the flotsam of Isengard. Mine, mine, yes, and dearly bought, cried Saruman, clutching at the pouch. This is only a repayment in token, for you took more, I'll be bound. Still, a beggar must be grateful if a thief returns him even a morsel of his own. Well, it will serve you right when you come home if you find things less good in the south farthing than you would have liked. Long may your land be short of leaf. Thank you, said Mary. In that case, I will have my pouch back, which is not yours, and has journeyed far with me. Wrap the weed in a rag of your own. One thief deserves another, said Saruman, and turned his back on Mary and kicked Wormtongue and went away towards the woods. Well, I like that, said Mary. Thief indeed. What of our claim for waylaying, wounding, and orc-dragging us through Rohan? Ah, said Sam. And, And bought, he said. How, I wonder. And I didn't like the sound of what he said about the south farthing. It's time we get back. I'm sure it is, said Frodo, but we can't go any quicker. If we are to see Bilbo, I'm going to Rivendell first, whatever happens. Yes, I think you had better do that, said Gandalf, but alas for Saruman. I fear nothing more can be made of him. He is withered altogether. At the same time, I am not sure that Treebeard is right. I fancy he could do some mischief still in a small, mean way. End quote. The magnanimity that Gandalf, Galadriel, and the Hobbits show here is staggering. Not only do they show no interest in executing Saruman and Wormtongue, they try to convince them to make decisions that will improve their situation, and make no attempt to re-imprison them when when the offer is rejected. The fact that Galadriel is a queen, and therefore under Lewis's worldview, might have grounds to execute someone, but instead does nothing but jawjack with Saruman and Wormtongue, further underscores the extent to which Tolkien seems to have rejected Lewis's personal vengeance versus state executions distinction. Tolkien's rejection of this distinction is further underscored by Gandalf's indication that Aragorn wouldn't have executed the villains either, and indeed one wonders if Aragorn ended up approving a single execution during his kingship. When Frodo, Sam, and their fellow hobbits Merry and Pippin return to the Shire, They find out that Saruman and Wormtongue have taken over. They rally the other hobbits to overthrow the two remaining antagonists, and succeed, albeit with a number of casualties. Quote, Well, if that is what you find pleasure in, said Frodo, I pity you. It will be a pleasure of memory only, I fear. Go at once and never return. The hobbits of the villages had seen Saruman come out of one of the huts, and at once they came crowding up to the door of Bag End. When they heard Frodo's command, they murmured angrily, Don't let him go. Kill him. He's a villain and a murderer. Kill him. Saruman looked round at their hostile faces and smiled. Kill him, he mocked. Kill him if you think there are enough of you, my brave hobbits. He drew himself up and stared at them darkly with his black eyes. But do not think that when I lost lost all my goods, I lost all my power. Whoever strikes me shall be accursed, and if my blood stains the shire, it shall wither and never again be healed. The hobbits recoiled, but Frodo said... Do not believe him. He has lost all power save his voice that can still daunt you and deceive you if you let it. But I will not have him slain. It is useless to meet revenge with revenge. It will heal nothing. Go, Saruman, by the speediest way. Worm, worm, Saruman called, and out of a nearby hut came Wormtongue, crawling almost like a dog. To the road again, worm, said Saruman. 
These fine fellows and lordlings are turning us adrift again. Come along. Saruman turned to go, and Wormtongue shuffled after him. But even as Saruman passed close to Frodo, a knife flashed in his hand, and he stabbed swiftly. The blade turned on the hidden mail coat and snapped. A dozen hobbits, led by Sam, leapt forward with a cry and flung the villain to the ground. Sam drew his sword. No, Sam, said Frodo, do not kill him even now, for he has not hurt me, and in any case I do not wish him to be slain in this evil mood. He was, one, he was great once, of a noble kind, that we should not dare to raise our hands against. He has fallen and his cure is beyond us, but I would still spare him in the hope that he may find it. Saruman rose to his feet and stared at Frodo. There was a strange look in his eyes of mingled wonder and respect and hatred. You have grown, halfling, he said. Yes, you have grown very much. You are wise and cruel. You have robbed my revenge of sweetness, and now I must go hence in bitterness, in debt to your mercy. I hate it and you. Well, I go and I will trouble you no more. But do not expect me to wish you health and long life. You will have neither. But that is not my doing. I merely foretell. He walked away and the hobbits made a lane for him to pass, but their knuckles whitened as they gripped on their weapons. Wormtongue hesitated and then followed his master. Wormtongue, called, for, called Frodo, you need not follow him. I know of no evil you have done to me. You can have rest and food here for a while until you are stronger and can go on your ways. Wormtongue halted and looked back, looked back at him, half prepared to stay. Saruman turned. No evil, he cackled. Oh no. Even when he sneaks out at night, it is only to look at the stars. But I did hear someone ask where poor Lotho is hiding. You know, don't you, Worm? Will you tell them? Worm cowered down and whimpered. No, no. Then I will, said Saruman. Worm killed your chief, poor little fellow, your nice little boss. Didn't you, Worm? Stabbed him in his sleep, I believe. Buried him, I hope. The Worm has been very hungry lately. No Worm is not very is not really nice. You had better leave him to me. A look of wild hatred came into Wormtongue's red eyes. You told me to. You made me do it, he hissed. Saruman laughed. You do what Sharky says always, don't you, Worm? Well, now he says follow. He kicked Wormtongue in the face as he groveled and turned and made off. But at that, something snapped. Suddenly, Wormtongue rose up, drawing a hidden knife, and then with a snarl like a dog, he sprang at Saruman's back, jerked his head back, cut his throat, and with a yell ran off down the lane. Before Frodo could recover or speak a word, three hobbit bows twanged and Wormtongue fell dead. End quote. It is notable here that Frodo is so adamantly against killing either of the two final villains. One of them dies at the hands of their fellow villain, who is then killed by three unnamed hobbits in the heat of the moment. Every indication is that Frodo didn't want the three random hobbits to kill Wormtongue. He'd specifically told everyone not to kill Saruman and even offered to let Wormtongue stay for a while and leave in peace. Had this been Narnia, the heroes would have probably executed Saruman and Wormtongue a book and a half ago. Lord of the Rings is so strongly, obviously anti-death penalty to me, that I'm honestly surprised that this isn't more universally talked about. <laughs>